So we're watching Where on Earth is Garmin San Diego, Season 1, Episode 2, A Higher Calling. So listen up, Holmes, because this show is fly. Where did that come from? Where did that come from? (laughs) You're listening to Amazingly Terrible. If nostalgia is a poison, this podcast runs around the rainforest licking all the frogs. My name's Adam. I'm Matt. I am David. And I'm Mike. Okay, got the intro out of the way. Boom! In the can. <laughs> Done. Okay. Now we just need four more hours of bullshit. I'd like to welcome all of our listeners to this special Before Dark edition of Amazingly Terrible. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is a bit odd to have the sun out while we're recording and uh, mm. not being exhausted from work, but rather attempting to be relatively fresh of the day. I think it's ruining my podcast vibes at the moment. And me being mostly sober. Yeah, it's terrible being sober. That's yeah. where I was going, Mike. Mike, <laughs> and, dear listener, Mike and myself are sober, and that's why I'm not funny. And Mike is talking. So this week we are going to be watching. Where on earth is Carmen San Diego? Not to be confused with where in the world is Carmen San Diego, or where in time, or where in time is Carmen San Diego? Oh my God! Um, I just realized there's they're different. <laughs> <laughs> In the meantime, let's talk about how awful the opening music is. I'm going to strenuously disagree with you. I yeah. loved the opening music. <laughs> I, I was actually going to say the same thing. I, I was quite fond of the opening music. Um, it was a little bit more catchy. It's a little bit more epic than some of the other musics that we'd be listening to at this point in time. Multi-ethnic or, choir. Yeah. And it's um, there's a reason for that. So, no. Oh. Um, the theme song is actually taken from uh, the chorus of Sinkt, Sinkt dem Grossen Basseledger, uh, Sing Songs to the Great Pasha. It's uh, from Mozart's opera, Die Inführung aus dem Serral. This is the cartoon that uh, the your NPR host would write. It's, uh, it's very overeducated. Yeah. Unlike us. Like, and... In, in, in kind of a bit of a strange way, like it's it, it, going back and looking at it right now as an adult, I take some of the things that they're talking about for granted as like common knowledge, but for kids, it would have been relatively new information, but it seems like they're just sort of like cramming as oh, yeah. much of this information as they possibly can into a 19 yeah. minute cartoon. It feels very agenda in agenda design in that they're like, we're going to make this educational. Uh, in every way we can. God damn it, we're going to shove education down their throat. They've got subliminal facts, they've got liminal facts, and they've got superliminal facts. <laughs> Do they have false facts? So, one of the reasons why this was so chocked full of uh, information is because the entire franchise was owned by Broderbund, and Broderbund is an American... Uh, software company that was specifically created um, or that was focused on creating more educational style video games and they actually made quite a few video games that are are relatively recognizable today obviously including Carmen Sandiego yes so so where is this on the timeline of Carmen Sandiego products this or or media 
I believe that this is after where in the world is Cameron San Diego? But before where in the world is Carmen San Diego Jr. So I think it was relatively <laughs> early on in it. Because Are those they, both games? I believe they're both games because they, they did specifically say that this cartoon inspired the junior edition game. Hmm. I remember the game very well. Like I, I played that all the time. Loved that game. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yep. what is the distinction between the Earth and the world? Uh, well, the the video game was the world. Where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? And mm-hmm. I think they wanted to differentiate the properties by saying this one is where on Earth. Yeah, it's it's a way to avoid overloading the terms. Mm, yeah. Okay. I remember watching this show as a kid. I remember playing most, many of the Carmen Sandiego video games. Uh, I played Where in the World, Where in Time, and Where in America. And I think that one was kind of the w- worst of those three. Yeah. I mean, who wants to, you know, wander around America? We do that all the time as Americans. Well, not anymore. <laughs> well, <laughs> this this eight-year span of 2020 aside, yes. Um, yes. Exactly. I, I remember time in the before four that we could get in the car and just drive to any state you wanted to. Breathing, breathing that free America air. So... So one of the reasons why this show was so educational was because creative control was still underneath the original owner, Broderbund. Broderbund is the American software company that is incredibly well known for uh, making, or is well known for making some uh, high-end games or high, highly known games. I guess you should say uh, some of them high profile. High profile. High profile. There we go. High profile games such as. Uh, Choplifter, Load Runner. Uh, most, I think the most famous is Prince of Persia. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, and they also did all the Carmen San Diego games. Um, and I think that they even made uh, Myst. Um, and the company was founded in Eugene, Oregon, so it is a U.S. based game. However, the name, Broderbund, is like a German word that they specifically made up. That's supposed to mean band of brothers, but it's like <laughs> a combination of Danish, Dutch, German, Swedish. It's sort of all over the map. That's odd. Very um, strange. It makes sense that they're associated with mist. There's definitely uh, parts of this show where I got a distinct mist vibe. Like basically, whenever they travel, they go through a mist tunnel where they're like CGI is flying all around us. Yeah, that's that's a loading screen. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a quick time movie. So one of the reasons why Broderbund wanted to maintain so much control, uh, they actually had final script approval. Uh, and the reason why was because they were worried about how violent uh, cartoons were getting, specifically Fox cartoons. Because <laughs> oh. uh-huh. this cartoon was part of the Fox uh, children's block of animation Saturday mornings. And Broderbund wanted to make sure that this did not start to go in the direction of the your X-Men's or your, uh, why is Eek the Cat in my head? <laughs> As a violent <laughs> cartoon. That's why a violent would he, cartoon. Why would he ever leave? <laughs> so this was actually produced by Rainbow Animation Group uh, that later got renamed the Galaxy Worlds, Inc., uh, and a combination of animation, Rainbow Animation Group, and Hang Yang Productions. 
Nice. Hey, Adam, Hang Yang I, Productions, that's pretty good. I, I yeah. know that you did your homework and this sounds great, but how much is, of this is superfluous information to you know actually just reviewing the, the show? A fair amount of it is, but but sometimes we do like to go into who made what, and, it, and I think as we go along throughout the series, we'll start to see yeah. like some correlations yeah. between products produced by specific companies. We so. like to think of this as yeah. perfilous uh, information. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I gotta have something to cut. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. So ultimately, this was produced by DIC Productions, which produced a lot of our. Uh, animations that we've looked at so far especially during the early 90s uh dick. typically dick yeah yeah dick gets around no typically typically <laughs> it's not dick it's deke <laughs> oh, what, okay. what what i found to be a bit interesting though is to, typically from what we've seen so far dick has actually been taking uh ip from japan and then like recreating it for american audiences wait were they taking not not adapting it but recreating it were they taking ip freely yeah uh ip from my dick (laughs) (laughs) jesus christ david save me from myself (laughs) okay so what's going in (laughs) so this this particular cartoon ran for four seasons from 1994 to 1999 wow that's a good long run it, it is a very good run. 40 episodes, so they obviously did not follow the 65-episode syndication rule. Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego won a Daytime Emmy Award for Outstanding Children's Animated Program in 1995. Nice. And this is when they spun off into the new video game of uh, San Diego Junior Detective. Was it targeting a different audience, or was it just continuing on under a different name well the 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 new video game uh carmen san diego junior detective uh i did zero research on but based off of the name i'm assuming it's like a kid's game it's was aimed for a younger audience i'm assuming makes sense i i mean i think from the just from what we've seen on this episode this is one of the most intensely written and researched episode cartoon episodes that we've seen yeah like there's a lot of information in it um there's a lot of facts there's a lot of um fake facts and fake garbage <laughs> and there's there's a lot of uh, uh scene transitions as well there's a lot of different animation techniques like we're in muppet baby's territory in terms of the uh mixed media collage of different animation techniques it's almost like they couldn't really figure out what they wanted the cartoon to be so they went with all of their ideas all at once and they were just like it's going to be educational anyway let's just throw all these different pieces of the cartoon together and we'll make it work. Uh, true. Well, they, they do it whenever they do like research. Whenever uh, the player is doing research, they'll do a custom different animation style and they'll do kind of animated mm. slideshows. Um, they'll do, they'll have live, they'll have live footage placed into the transitions when you're, when you're C4ing across the world. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of different techniques in there. So for this cartoon, um, I broke it out. You guys correct me if I'm wrong here. But I broke it out into four distinct different levels of reality within the cartoon itself. <laughs> yeah. So we have we have a player who is playing the video game, which which is the cartoon. Well, he's live action. He's live action. He's in the real world, um, and uh, the player actually like directly communicates with Carmen San Diego 
as well as Ivy and Zach, the two junior detectives that we follow, uh, who are looking for Carmen Sandiego. Who is the second layer of, of reality. And they exist on the second layer of reality, which is where most of the, what you would call regular interactions of the cartoon would take place, because it's on the cartoon level. Yeah, it's the cartooniverse. I then go into the intraluminal space, and this is where the chief exists. Mm. And he's the one that's directing the detectives and giving them the information they need to try to find Carmen Sandiego. And he's the one that spits out all of the information and educational material that they need whenever they're traveling from place to place. And, and the chief looks like a combination of Egon from Real Ghostbusters and the floating head from uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. I would actually say that he is Egon and Max Headroom. Oh, okay, uh, that's, yeah. That's what I would have gone with. Yeah, I like that better. So were they also plugging the game in this? You know, like most cartoons exist to sell a product um, back in the 80s. There was, you know, action figures and toys. Were they trying to get more sales of the Where in the World is Carbon San Diego video game? Or, like, because there's definitely the gaming aspect to that, so... They certainly weren't shying away from the fact that this was like some sort of digital video game experience for mm. the player, who's I guess supposed to be our surrogate. Yeah, I gotta love that eighties uh, computer technology, the flop, the the floppy disk connected to the monitor, the, like the floppy disk drive. Was it a Mac? I don't think so. I think it had a blue screen. It had a blue screen of death whenever the, she was, he was communicating with Garmin, mm-hmm. so it has to be a Windows machine. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. This is like Windows 1.1. Adam, um, what's level four of the reality? So the fourth level of reality is actually the what I would call the in-between, and this is the <gasps> realm that Zach and Ivy have to travel to in order to catch the portal to travel to the next part of the cartoon. So this is the the space where you would where the two of them I'm I'm taking it that this is actually a POV on their part where they basically fly through a CGI door, fly past a bunch of different infographics and up into a single stationary image that they then fly through to get to the portal to teleport to the next location. It's a real MST3K transition. Yes. It is, yes. Exactly. I, I called this going through the Imaginarium of Lawnmower Man. This is where this is this is the Lawnmower Man's Imaginarium, and you have to transition through that space in order to tra- to C four through the world. Did they say C four? I thought it was C two. Was it C two? I can't remember. Mike, you're watching it. Let, tell us what it is. Is it C seven? C eight? These are just like map gr- grids, aren't they? No, no, I think sp- that that's what they call the technology. Yeah, that's what they're calling the the uh, teleportation. Hmm. I'm not nec- I'm not seeing it. I think that the shorthand though, it's a mist tunnel. Like you go yeah. briefly through a uh, through the video game mist, and you come out in a different level of the uh, second level of reality, the cartooniverse. Mm-hmm. Ooh, Yucatan Peninsula. <laughs> I got an answer right, guys. Oh, nice. You take you're taking the quiz. Woohoo. I feel smart. <laughs> okay, so some some background information here. Carmen San Diego is the leader of Vile. 
<laughs> V-I-L-E. And she is a criminal mastermind that gets off on stealing monuments and other like well-known, well-established artifacts from around the world for, for one nefarious reason or another. Well, it, ha- it has to be sexual because she's not getting money for them. Exactly what I was thinking. There's no way she's making Sorry, a profit stealing, on this. I'm stealing yeah. your thunder every time, Matt. We, no, Mike, we, I we, love we, it. I like. The, we, we really do like have this mind melt thing going on here. Uh, be, because the the thefts are so daring uh, or complicated that there, she must spend more money stealing the things than she could oh, ever yeah. recoup selling them. Well, and we're going to see specifically in this episode there there was nothing to recoup. Like there, yeah. there seemed to be absolutely no reason for this. Like, where but, are you going to find a buyer for Stonehenge? Well, um, when Gru tried to steal the moon in Despicable Me, I mean, mm-hmm. clearly somebody wanted that. Is or either that, or it's just for bad guy bragging rights. There's got to be a bad guy club where everyone's like sizing each other up and like, oh, well, you only stole the pyramids. Well, I stole the moon. Well, well I well, think that well, this well answered, Mike. <laughs> this, this this is done for personal reasons, though. Um, uh, she used to work for the Acme Detective Agency, which is the detective agency that's actively trying to hunt down Carmen Sandiego and other members of Vile. She basically defected and started working for Vile because she was bored. She wanted bigger challenges. Uh. So, so she went and joined Vile, became the leader of Vile, and that's where she kind of stands right now as the uh, world-renowned uh, International criminal. International thief of uh, uh, ancient artifacts. So, so let me get this straight. She has no motivation. Her crimes make no sense. And she derives no profit from it. So, yep. like, I think you're right. This is her kink. It's got to be. Let's go ahead and uh, jump in the show. Because we've already established, like, Carmen Sandiego doesn't really have any motivation behind any of the things that she's doing. She's not making money. She's obviously spending a shit ton of money and trying to, to figure out what's going on or to try to pull off these daring thefts. So it's all for personal reasons. But we've also established that banks have tons of extra money. So she's probably going to the evil bank to, to fund this. And they're just siphoning profits off of, you know, just bullshit that, like ATM fees and, and shit like that. <laughs> that's a regular bank <laughs> all all regular banks feed into the evil bank it's it's well known that all the atm fees go to the evil organizations that you know fund uh landmark stealing it could be that we're thinking about this a little bit too much of a capitalistic mindset and that maybe she isn't actually paying any her her uh henchmen anything maybe she doesn't have to worry about funding any of this maybe she's getting donations from different nations around the world for various other activities or maybe she's literally just such a good thief that she's stealing everything and she's such a good motivational speaker that everybody's working for her for free oh so this is socialism now she's giving the landmarks back to the people when they were already you know the people's anyway maybe Maybe. Yeah, I can she's, see. I can she's, see she's two stealing options. from the people to give it to the people. Okay. Yeah, no, no. I'm seeing two options. Like she's pointing to the future socialist utopia in which everyone has the freedom to steal uh, treasured national monuments from across the world. Or second, she's kickstarting all her thefts. She has a Kickstarter running. She has stretch goals. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 
people, people are like, you know, what? I'm kind of bored. You know, I want to yeah. see what would happen if we took Stonehenge and we put it yeah. in Australia. It's just like, okay, okay, okay. I can do that. Stretch go though. Stretch, stretch goal. Stretch goal. Um, Contact how about, I, how about I also get Easter Island heads? There you go. And the uh, radio satellite from Puerto Rico. What if I do all this? It doesn't exist anymore. And we try to contact You'd him. have to go to where in time is Carmen San Diego, back to before it broke, steal it, and then transport it to the where in the world is Carmen San Diego. No, I like this better. I like her actually just stealing a broke ass telescope. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what happened to the telescope, Mike? The telescope broke. It uh, <laughs> it done collapsed. Did it fall down, Mike? It the, collapsed. Yes. It, much like, um, you know, in England, they call it autumn because of the Latin word autumnus. And in America, we call it fall because leaf fall down. Um, it's completely unrelated to the radio, radio telescope that just yeah. fell down. Because it's winter now, so it's not fall. I, okay. That does not make sense, but I'll take your word for it. So we open on Carmen San Diego in some sort of future car, driving as fast as she can down the highway, being chased by bodies that are in their uh, police vehicles. She hits the afterburner, shoots ahead of them, and then they arrive at Stonehenge, saying, where did she go? Where's Carmen San Diego? Yeah, this is definitely like the first instance that we see that Carmen San Diego has better technology than everyone else in the world. Yep. With the with the exception of our detective children. And better fashion. Teleportation technology. Right. But you're right, Mike. She is a very fashionable individual. I mean that wide brim hat is is has some has some real audacity and um The hipster all the hipster girls a year ago in Williamsburg were wearing those big wide brim hats. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, she's ahead. Oh, yeah. Carmen San Diego is ahead of her time. Get it ahead of her time because she's wearing a hat, right? <laughs> no, yeah. wearing time is Carmen time? San Diego. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> these, these are the jokes, kids. <laughs> Take it or leave it. What really disappointed me about wearing time is Carmen San Diego. The game is they didn't do enough of the future stuff. Like, why didn't they have the 2020 <laughs> pandemic in that game? And I mean. Like the winners of the Super Bowls, these these are things that could have really helped me out. And I feel like my failings in life is all because where in time is Carmen San Diego didn't properly prepare me for the future. It kind of let us all down. Yeah, exactly I was going back is, to the yeah. stupid ass Gettysburg Address and <laughs> uh, bullshit. I don't want to go. There. I, I I wanted to find out. You know, did the Cubs win, man? All right. <laughs> So we have uh, shitty British Commissioner Gordon, and he yells out to her, you'll never get away with stealing Stonehenge, Carmen. And then what, ha- what happens? Stonehenge gets sucked into the ground. Yeah, there's an earthquake, and they uh, each, each of the stones sinks into the earth. At which point in time, they're all like, damn, she got away. And I Bollocks. really wanted to see the hotshot Scotland Yard, new kid in Scotland Yard, dive in the hole after the... Uh, these stones and actually just travel down with her or get cut in half if i've one thing about learned one thing about scotland yard uh, over my years of watching movies and uh british procedurals scotland yard is only uh staffed by old men there's no young people in scotland yard at all it's always old mustachioed men 
So after nobody in Scotland Yard decides to rappel down after the stones, we cut scene to the live-action player. We just see the back of his head while he's playing the game. And uh, Carmen San Diego is gloating to the kid, talking about how she just pulled off her most daring heist ever. And the kid says, all right, let me look at the detective roster. And then cut back to the cartoon to the scene of our two uh, detectives, Zach and Ivy, the, the brother and sister duo in San Francisco. We know it's San Francisco because we are shown the iconic winding road going up the hills. Mm-hmm. And the sister, Ivy, is complaining about how her horoscope is telling her nothing but bad news as she and her brother step onto a streetcar again. Make sure you know it's San Francisco. And suddenly the chief appears as a uh, floating head superimposed over top a bodybuilder. In the newspaper. In the newspaper. I kind of liked the lack of physicality understanding of the chief, that he like uh, could just insert himself into the real world in any way he chose, and there were no like rules around it. He's a, he, the chief has a real soft magic, or soft, soft technology system mm-hmm. that allows him to interact with the world. Yeah, and, and he's also, he, he's very informative and he's helpful, but he is very much the trickster character in the sense that he's the one that uh, comes in and disrupts the protagonists uh, day-to-day and uh, brings them the call to action. It's like, Carmen Sandiego's fucked up. We gotta go take care of this. Here's everything you need to know to do this. I'm going to provide you with the simple magic or complex magic to allow you to engage in the adventure. Well, he's he's like um, he's like the all-powerful character whose severe personality flaws keeps him from being the only character, mm-hmm. right? Like if he wasn't so annoying and distractible and um, generally irritating, why would we need the detectives at all? Yeah, and and that's the reason why I very much thought that the chief was an analog to uh, uh, Max Headroom. Like Max Headroom is almost like the perfect example of what the chief really is. Just mm. a, a bit of a trickster, has a lot of information, does have some deep-seated personality flaws, but is able to provide the information to the main characters they need in order to actually, actually enact the plot. I wonder if there is like a name for that kind of untrustworthy, annoying, but ultimately in charge of you character that you see in cartoons. Uh, we, I think we see it a lot in cartoons like this, where their boss is completely unreliable. Anyway. It's the theft of Stonehenge, and Zack calls out to the player from the streetcar, Hey player, C5 us to the scene of the crime. So it's actually C5. Uh-huh. C5. At least that's how I have it written in my notes. So that's when we come to the infographic of the chief essentially explaining to the player, and presumably also to Zack and Ivy, everything that he knows about the Salisbury Plain and where Stonehenge sits in the Salisbury Plain. We go through the we go through the mist tunnel. We go through the mist tunnel. And we get an information dump. And I'm kind of confused by the use of these mist tunnels, because it, it is that CGI sequence of floating through like futuristic doors and everything. But each time they go through it, they're given... They're given either images, like actual, like what look to be two-dimensional photographs that are that have been blown up and are sitting in a three-dimensional plane, mm-hmm. or they're given like little tangible objects that are sitting on these floating pedestals 
that have like a top and a bottom to the pedestal, almost like a, an energy canister or something like that. And the, that information is different every time they go through those tunnels, but it doesn't really seem to be pertaining to anything that they're doing. Do you think it's just the writers being like, hey, here's our research. We put all our research. Look at our research, guys. We found these pic- we found these pictures. I think I think it would be a lot more interesting if that is what wound up happening, but it's not because they put in a lot of like un unconnected information in there. So like I I specifically went through and watched in slow motion to write down everything <laughs> in each of the times they went into the tunnels. And the first time they're going from uh, San Francisco to the Salisbury Plain, and they pass by the equation E equals M C squared floating in one of those canisters. Right. A, a DNA, something that says DNA, that actually has the double helix strand in there. There's also a rocket. They pass by an old-timey telephone. They pass by an image of an Indian chief. Native, Native American. American. First okay. people. <laughs> they pass by an image of a Native American chief, and the image of a side view of Big Ben and Parliament, and then an image of a giraffe. And then like they, they come up on a giant image of a Union, Union Jack. Jack. Yeah. So of everything there, the Union Jack and then the Big Ben, the image of Big Ben, would be the only two that seem to be connected to this at all. Am I wrong? Yes. You do not see Big Ben. You see the tower in which Big Ben is housed because Big Ben is the bell, which was the whole point of putting that graphic in there. <laughs> oh, snap. <laughs> Thank you, David. I appreciate David, it. David, watch the episode. Um <laughs> I, th- I mean, this definitely relates to, like, it feels like a time tunnel. You know, like, if you ever go into a, a travel through time, you get e-, e equals MC squared floats past you and clocks. Yep. And it's just yep. like, it's like, um, it's like you're you're going into, this is the theme, it's guys. It's trope. Yeah. yeah, this is the theme. You're going to go into this theme. And um, I, I I bet it's also so they can reuse this for every episode, right? Like, no, no, so they, I'm, I'm sure that's There's got to be case. stock images. Yeah. It's like, okay, we're going to use all of this, and then, like, the third and fourth image we're going to make Sub relevant out. and put that something in there. Right. Keep in mind, guys, this is 1995. The internet was in its infancy, like, as normal people. They had to go to a library and look <laughs> up these pictures, or they had to go to, like, a photography store and find specific pictures that they want. There's no Googling. Oh, I want to find a picture of that. The tower that houses big Ben. They had to literally go to a library and take a picture or a uh, Xerox that picture and all of those. (laughs) So they're of course going to reuse pictures because you've got like a stack of them, maybe like 10 deep and you're not going to go back to the damn library. They had to check out a book and on uh, the title of the book was just E equals MC squared. (laughs) And they're like, I'm not reading this shit. They had, to, they had to actually go to the Dewey Decimal System and find like the book on Einstein, and then within that book on Einstein, find the random E equals MC square. And then they had to go into microfiche and find like an article <laughs> about Big Ben, and then copy that. They like, I could just see them like all of them gr- gathering in the library. This like group of a guys in tweed with bow ties, and that one of them's like, "Newsflash! It's the bell. The bell is Big Ben." <laughs> dun dun dun! It's not the dun, tower. Done. And they're all like, "Oh, oh!" They go back to their snifters of brandy, smoking cigars. And and then and then the picture of the rocket, which was the very first one that uh, Adam skipped over, they actually had to like sit there and watch TV until 
a rocket was being launched and they had to press record on the VCR that's still blinking all four zeros. And then somehow transport wow. like and then, and then they took that VCR tape and then they put it into their system to uh, to update it into digital. I would argue that the rocket was actually um, useful for when they were talking about it because it's not in the first one. It's actually in either the second or third one. I haven't got to that point in my notes. Uh, but there is a rocket in there somewhere. But at the point in time that they show us the rocket, they've already started talking about aliens. So no, they they show us the rocket in the first one. Yeah, the the, the very from, first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, it's it's pretty quick. In but San Francisco to uh, Salisbury, it's right before equals MC Square. It, you just get a very very quick glimpse of it. Yep. It's oh, right, you're right. Right as the door yep. opens, you see that rocket. Yeah. Guys, yeah. this is why we do. I'm this. wrong. You're this right. is these are the important information that we're uncovering for all of humanity. Yeah, <laughs> these are the hard hitting stories that you want all to right. know about. So a butthole poops out Zach and Ivy into the Salisbury Plain, mm-hmm. and they uh, they wind up uh, hanging out for a few minutes. Ivy's complaining because she lands in mud. She's like, "See, my horoscope told me it's right." And Zach's like, "Horoscopes are bullshit. What are you talking about?" Then suddenly, a hexagonal metal pillar just shoots out of the ground straight up into the air and with no prompting ivy is on it and yeah she climbs she... to the top of it as quickly as she can yeah let's talk about ivy real quick uh did, is it just me did, or did ivy seem maybe like a little old for this she did a little bit yeah she, like she, ivy she looked... should maybe be like in college yeah or she maybe maybe be on captain planet yeah she's <laughs> yeah. right on that cusp but she her style is a captain planet style looks like she should be one of the planeteers um, but she's definitely comes across as much more adult than Zach does. Because only children should hunt down international criminals. And they say exactly. that horoscope is hocus pocus. I'm just saying that, like, you know, I, Ivy's, uh, she's a little too um, well-developed, physically and mentally, for what this show is serving us. Well, may- maybe we're hitting on a, one of the theories here of the show. Maybe Zach is, maybe Zach is special needs. And maybe, maybe maybe Ivy is special needs. And maybe Ivy and the Chief are specifically designing these programs to basically work with Zach and to give him some fulfillment in his day to day. I mean that would make a lot of sense because why the hell does Carmen San Diego give them constantly give them clues? And that was gonna be my question here, because Ivy gets to the top of this pillar and she gets this clue. They they uncover it, they talk about it. Obviously, this was something that Carmen Sandiego put into place and specifically designed a system to trigger when the two of these folks, when uh, Zach and Ivy arrived, so that they would be like almost hand-given this clue. And right. even, in, in, even in the open, the intro to the, to the show, where we see Zach and Ivy chasing around Carmen Sandiego, very frequently Carmen Sandiego is actually just tossing them clues to like where to find her next i I think you're on to something and you've got to remember that if carmen san diego is literally doing this for a kink then part of what she's after and some of the foreplay is the chase it it goes kind of back to uh serial killers after a certain point after they're cut they've killed enough times they start to want the police to try to find them and they start leaving clues um, and they start inter- they start injecting themselves in the into investigation the, as well. Into the narrative. They yes. show up and they start yeah. talking to the cops. Yeah, She's a psychopath. So she, she's totally she's, a psychopath. She's edging herself yeah. with getting caught. So uh, at any rate, 
the clue that they uncover here is a jack-in-the-box. And it turns out that the jack that pops out of the box is actually a ancient Mayan statue that has uh, different glyphs on the bottom of it and has a shield attached to it. And they determine that, okay, the next place must be in South America. Let's go to the Yucatan Peninsula. For which they know the exact square mileage just off the top of their heads. Yeah. Ivy stops Zach from specifically asking the player to see five of them there, though, because she wants to talk to an archaeologist. So she asks the chief, hey, do we have any archaeologists on the Acme Detective payroll that we could talk to? And the chief says, yes, we got this guy. He's on Ellesmere Island. So they give us a new info dump about Ellesmere Island, and then we go through the uh, the time tunnel portal. We go the through lawn, the lawnmower imaginarium, imaginarium yeah. to uh, get to the portal, and they teleport to a cliffside on Ellesmere Island where they magically have repelling gear and ropes attached to them so they don't fall into the ocean. I have to uh, I have to assume that like they replace two people who were there. Yeah, that's that's the only thing that really makes sense. This is more like a quantum leap situation than it was a like Star Trek teleportation situation. I think it's like the it's the, it's a matrix situation. Either that mm. or like the Acme Detective Agency requires all of their agents to have multiple harnesses set up in case other agents are teleported into those harnesses. So they See, have was, to constantly be maintaining like these three or four other harnesses around them. I was thinking it was more of the latter. I think it was more of of that, where they basically just have all these different fail-safes in place to make sure that when they do want to teleport, or rather when they want to see five people, uh, they, they have the infrastructure set up to support them. Well, it was nice to see Ivy get some use out of her repelling gear that she wears for the entire episode. Yes. <laughs> just casually... Wearing a repelling harness all day long. Which is funny, though, because when you look at this, she's actually wearing the repelling harness over her repelling harness. So <laughs> so the, the archaeologist they talk to is Amate. And Amate is basically uh, talking to them about all of the uh, history of the Mayan culture, the, what he knows about it. But how they had advanced calendars, uh, Stonehenge could be connected to them because Stonehenge was thought to be a calendar system, and the mine were really well known for developing very uh, intricate calendar systems. And I think that's also when he talks to them about the Mayan boy king, who was actually uh, used the symbol of the shield. And the famous boy king, Pakal, yeah. I think is what his name was, lived in the yeah. city of Palenque. So then they're like, okay, let's go to Palenque. Player, C5 us to the Yucatan Peninsula. Wait, wait, before we there. move on to there, let me just say, aliens. I know. I fucking hate yeah. it. Yep. Well, as soon as they started talking about the Mayan culture, you definitely got the image of that guy with the big old hair and the fake tan. Aliens. Ancient aliens. Yeah. I mean, they're separated by thousands of miles, yet... Both know intricate things about the stars because back then in a world without TV, they clearly had way too much fucking time to just stare at the stars and say, wow, there's some stuff that happens. Let's study it. Yep, exactly. But hey, also um, a really interesting thing on December 21st this year. um, I don't know if this is an omen of doom or actually hopefully like saying Goodbye, 2020, 
don't come back now, but Jupiter and Saturn are going to align and they will almost appear as one planet up in the sky on the winter solstice. So hopefully California doesn't fall into the ocean, but I'm hoping that it's a good thing. So we, not, not alarmist at all, Mike. No. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Well, clearly, I'm being bipolar about this. Like, I'm, I'm both happy and sad. Bipolar? Why? Well, my question is, did, didn't we already have, like, a planetary alignment um, happen relatively recently? The planets align all the time. I mean, we're on the, it's yeah. all on a, the plane together, so they pass each other quite often. It's just that the farther out the planets are, they um, take longer to past each other but yeah they happen all the time yeah i yeah, mean I thought, technically uh, they're always aligned if you draw a squiggly line <laughs> that's fair that's fair yeah it's science science that's science science from our artist that's right <laughs> that's right it's artistic <laughs> science no the um I, what, I, what i was thinking of is i, I thought that in like 2012 2014 that there was actually like an alignment where there were a ton of different planets that had lined up in a single line and everybody's like what's gonna happen and then of course nothing happened nothing like, oh that's what happens <laughs> nothing <laughs> nothing happens well you know they actually said the minds got it wrong and they were off by eight years when they said the world's gonna end in 20, 2012 but mm. hey they were going off the mayan calendar we're going off of the uh georgian the georgian yeah king george calendar yeah it's no. the calendar of king george king george right <laughs> <laughs> that's why we seceded from england yeah, yeah fuck them they don't know how to count numbers of the, the, the months and the days with stuff mm-hmm. okay so um moving along yeah so they see five to the yucatan peninsula this time when they travel through the uh, lawnmower man uh, butthole tunnel they pass um a image of einstein a platform with a globe floating in it an african tribal mask uh, Pythagorean's theorem, A squared plus B squared equals C squared, an image of the, the Egyptian pyramids, uh, and then a train. And yeah. then they, we pull into a cartoon drawing of the Yucatan, and we get a huge info dump about the Mayan people and what they what they do and what they did. I think this is just like teaching kids. It's like, hey, this is what smart people have in their house. Like a college professor, they would have, they would have this shit in their house. <laughs> You want to pretend to be smart? Just get all this shit, put it up <laughs> on your walls. Hey, just make, speaking make people think of you that, think about it. When you when we go back to the to the player in the real world, did you take a look around their room? No, I'm I'm not a creep. Why <laughs> why are you creeping on this kid's room? Um, tell us about it, David. This is a crazy damn room. He's got like a guitar, uh, <laughs> several trophies, an unlabeled beaker of liquid. Oh, oh uh, I'm looking at it now. That unlabeled beaker of liquid. <laughs> it's like brown. It, it looks like he. It looks like urine. <laughs> he was like, "I'm not going to get up from playing Carmen San Diego. This is too intense. I'm just going to pee in this beaker. I'll pour it out afterwards." It's totally what happened. Do you think that the intention there is to like? That, no, your your child's your children will turn into mindless screen zombies. Look, they're well rounded. Look, they do science. They have a globe. They just they command all and, the knowledge. And there's a whole uh, line of books on the desk. Yeah. And and when you get get, get, get on a close up of the screen, you can actually see the name of one of those books. Whoa! What is it, Adam? You it's, take it's, that. It's a law book, right? I, 
I didn't. I wasn't actually looking uh, too closely on it, but you did mention to me that it was a a, a California something California codes. Yeah, right. Because so, they 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 filmed the commercial in California like they did for Captain Ann. Quite well, most likely they did, but it actually looks like it's it's an attempt to have some sort of like law book for like different codes to uh, California statutes, something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. So, to convince parents that if their kids play where in the world of Carmen Sandiego, they all grow up to be doctors and lawyers. Yeah, and I think they they may have included this specifically because California is uh, one of the few states where you don't have to take a bar exam. Or, I'm sorry, one of the few states that you don't have to take, you don't have to get your JD before you take the bar exam. So you can just take the bar exam and become a lawyer. Nice. And a lot of people think, oh, that's kind of cool, I'll go do it. It's one of the hardest bar exams of any state because of that. Right, because you got to weed out all the idiots. Exactly. Anyway, we arrive uh, at an ancient Mayan ruin. In, in the Yucatan Peninsula. Yep. And uh, the duo get pooped out there and uh, start walking into a temple and immediately get followed by a jaguar. And yes. this is when we cut to commercial break. Commercial break! Well, let's go back into talking about these ancient astronauts that are on the <laughs> History Channel. <laughs> See, this... This pissed me off so much, honestly. I was like, I I was enjoying the show, and then they started basically like they started mixing in all these um, all this garbage, and, yeah, yeah, all this yeah. pseudoscience garbage, um, and kind of presented it as like something that um, uh, respected scientists and international criminals believe in and would <laughs> act on. Um, I it really turned me off. Honestly, because I mean, there's so much more interesting information that you could you could uh, um, explore, and then st- instead they've decided to go with this horrible, um, I don't know, uh, pop culture theory, conspiracy theory, and th- and also not pay it off. It really well, and also not not go like deep enough with it too. Because they're like, okay, here are some surface coincidental related inf- pieces of information between, like, the Mayan and Stonehenge. Here's what dumb people think. Turns out, Carmen <laughs> Sandiego is pretty dumb. Yeah. Instead of going, like, really deep into it and being like, okay, here are these two different structures that are very similar. They talk about that. Different type of pyramids. Seems that they need to have some sort of advanced techniques for that. Okay. I Whatever. don't want them to. I know I don't want them to legitimize the chariots of the gods bullshit. I want what, them to. What they needed to go deeper into is real like, information. In order to have these stones fit together in this way, they have to be laser cut with modern day tools. And obviously, they didn't have that. I'd be like, okay, now that's more interesting. Go no. deeper in the pseudoscience is what I'm saying. Go right. deeper. Right. <laughs> right. Really no, how about we how about we don't present that kind of crap to children as like their entrance into the arts and sciences and instead, you know, inc- excite them with actual interesting history. The the eye is so complicated. We need some sort of intelligent designer in order to <laughs> make it work. Yeah. yeah. Did you know it's crazy that the banana fits in your hand? Yeah. Your hand's the perfect insane. size of for the banana. 
and who can explain the platypus? <laughs> it's a mammal that lays eggs, has a bill, is venomous. Anyway, all right, let's keep going. What I was going to ask Mike was uh, what, um, what monument sits on the Salisbury Plain? <laughs> since that's what the chief asks us as we go to commercial and it's like mm. you just spent 10 minutes talking about it dude do you really think kids uh attention span is that short come on i, I don't know man i hear salisbury plain all i can think of is it's a delicious steak. steak yeah, yeah. Mm, nice. sounds really good so the duo walk into this temple this mayan temple at which point they see fortune uh, the largest henchman of Carmen San Diego, who's just a really big, fat ass guy with like hunter outfit, like he should be in like the plains of the Serengeti trying to hunt megafauna, something like that. Yeah, he's he's got an Australian accent. Yeah, he's he's like an uh, uh, an old uh, bush hunter. Um, this is my favorite character, the four chin hunter. Mm-hmm. I love it on so many levels. It's a um, gross fat joke. It's a dumb pun. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's just, it, it's got so many things that I love. Uh, yeah. yeah. He's my avatar, the fortune hunter. But he's 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 hard, though, because eventually they do try to interrogate him, but he doesn't give anything up. But not to get too far ahead of ourselves. He's, in, the, he's got integrity. The duo, the duo walk in, the uh, uh, brother-sister duo walk in, they see Fortune and a random henchman uh, covering a hole in the floor of the Mayan temple uh, that's a little bit higher up because they had to walk up some steps to get there. Uh, they cover it with like a piece of paper. They throw a bunch of dirt over it, and they start talking about how they're going to catch these kids. Um, and that Carmen Sandiego uh, just left them there after she looked at... Um, Jesus, what the guy, what's the guy's name again? Palake? As she went to the tomb. Yeah. Yeah, she went into the tomb and looked at uh, uh, King Pakal's uh, tomb and then just left for some island somewhere. So they get in the, the clue Pacific. That she's on an island in the Pacific. Yeah. So the whole time, the whole time, the, the, the kids and all the other uh, people are very worried about these Carmen traps that, that she lays. These, like, they, the Carmen tracks, traps TM. They seem like this intense, terrible thing that everybody's worried about. Um, but these guys are just like, uh, making like a shitty pit trap. Yeah, just a real quick pit trap. Yeah. And uh, Fortune and the henchmen walk off, and the kids walk in, and then the jaguar follows them, and we have a very, very brief Scooby-Doo runaround type of thing where uh, the kids chase after the henchmen, the henchmen then turn around and chase after the kids, the kids see the jaguar, they run away from the jaguar. It all results in the kids in the basement by Pakal's tomb the jaguar falling into the pit trap and the henchman looking at the jaguar in the pit trap going, where do the kids go? So the kids in Pakal's tomb wind up finding these talking tubes, which are basically holes in the wall that lead to other parts of the tomb so that they could basically throw their voice. For all intents and purposes, they just call the henchman down to them. They don't, like, do anything. They just say, hey, we're here. Come get us. Right. And then... The henchmen run downstairs, they trip them, and then immediately tie up the henchmen after they trip. That's pretty much it. They escape by luring the bad guys to them. Yeah, yeah. Which right. seems... So they get the drop on them. But it seems very counterintuitive for a couple of kids. And these are also like 
a, a very young boy, scrawny young boy, and a, uh, a young woman, both relatively small, versus Fortune, the largest henchman. He's fat, but still, he's a big guy. Yeah. And then, and then like, a standard, well-built henchman that looked like he, he works out. And they were they overpowered them immediately. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the henchman's outfit, the, the costumes that Carmen has designed for her henchmen. Uh, the thing that I noticed chiefly about their costume is that they have flared everything. They have flared pants. They have flared sleeves. They have flared shoulders. Their hat is flared. Uh, it's just, it's very intense. Carmen seems like the kind of boss who would, like, make you wear nine items of flair when you're, when you're serving customers. <laughs> well, you know, you never know when you might need knee pads. It's See, it's true. What I was taking this as is those were like henchmen suits designed for all occasions, and you had to have the the flared arms so that in case you had to put on like super thick gloves in order to like reach into lava or something like that, mm. or if you needed like jet boots, you need to have the flared pants that can go around the jet boots. Well, and, and the shoulder pads are just for intimidation. Yeah, and the Santa Claus guy, um, he's just clearly wearing fortune, quint- fortune. quintessential, you know, British explorer garb. Yeah. Uh, or Australia, yeah. like Outback, you know, Outback. Yeah, he's, outback garb, yeah. he's, he's an, an he's Outback. An outback what did I say? Guy. No, you, you said English, and then you said Australian. Yeah, not Aust- so. I'm, I'm agreeing with you on the second yeah. term. Not not Austrian, stripes, so. Australian. Do you have a question for Mike? Who has a question for Mike? Adam. Oh, Mike, I have a question for you. Yes. Um, I was peeing. What? That's why I, I disappeared. No, no, no. I was evacuating uh, liquid from my penis. No, no. no. <laughs> Well, oh, technically did, my bladder. But did, the, did you save it in an unmarked beaker? Um, I don't need to uh, actually have nitrogen for my compost anymore, so um, I only pee into uh, mason jars uh, in the summertime. For entirely different reasons, though, right? Well, it's delicious. Mm. So, God, Mike. made me kind of gag. Mike. <laughs> um. Disgusted at my own damn joke. Yes, Adam, please continue. Uh, what monument sits on the Salisbury Plain? Um, the the Stonehenge. <laughs> Excellent. Very good. Yay! <laughs> I could be a junior detective explorer too. I I have a question for Mike. Yes. Tell tell us about your feelings about Ivy. Um. If she's actually over 18, then she's really hot. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You know what? It, I, you know what? When, I, when I, I, I don't, first watched I, I, this, I was like, we're going to get a lot from Mike on this because yeah. she's a redhead. She's a she's fucking a redhead. redhead. I mean, if she had freckles, it'd be over. Like, I I would be swooning right now. What what would be over, Mike? And she always wears a climbing harness. Oh, yeah, I, It's the, that athletic build that just like... Yeah, I, I just, yeah. You like the athletic build of cartoons? Yeah. Well, I like the athletic build of women that are portrayed into part into cartoons. Yes. Um, <clears throat> but I, I think we're going about this wrong, saying that Ivy looks old. What if the other guy? I don't even remember his name. I'm not Zach. 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 Maybe Zach Ivy's just brother. looks young, you know. And maybe when Zach's forty years old, you know, he'll still be getting carded 
for alcohol and people would be like, oh, wow, Zach, you only look like you're in your 30s. And Zach would be super happy about that. <laughs> and he, all those times that Zach got made fun of in his 20s for looking like he's 10 will totally, you know, just disappear. And Zach will be really happy with himself. Yeah, it'll be worth it for Zach. Yeah. And, well, and then I did, and then I did notice. Wait, what? I did notice one thing about Zach is that the oversized army jacket that he's wearing, which is very 90s. Um, it actually says Zach on it. Mm-hmm. That's totally nineties uh, too. You you used to modern, yeah. like you used to put your name on stuff. But no um, do you think that was his actual jacket, and he has somehow either like de- reversed aged? He's devolving into a child, but he's we're still wearing his old clothes. This isn't Benjamin Button th- here. I think that I think that actually might be a good explanation for the first episode. Carmen Sandiego hit him with some sort of. Uh, kidifying Ray, and he was <laughs> like, because 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 he was a staff sergeant in the army who was trying to stop Carmen San Diego from stealing, uh, I don't know, let's say the uh, cliffs of Petra because we were yeah. in, uh, out, we were in uh, Saudi Arabia around that time frame, and the cliffs of Petra are where are they? Jordan, I believe. Jordan, yeah. So she hits him with the the kidifying Ray because she was obviously creating that. Uh, from ancient Assyrian relics that she was gathering from uh, North uh, Eastern Africa <laughs> and then taking to Jordan in order to deatify the cliffs of Petra. And then, uh, yeah, that's when he called up his uh, little sister and was like, Hey, something's going on. I got to move home for a little while. Right. I can't buy beer anymore, so I need you to travel around with me. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Now, because um, I'm planning to become an alcoholic. This thing. Clearly, no, Carmen no, San Diego I... has technology to do all kinds of stuff. A dehifying ray doesn't even need an expl- explanation. It's just Carmen has one. It's just yeah. It's like, I don't know. Right, right... I, I kind of feel like she she needs to have one in order to, or she needs to have a justification for having it on her to use it for something other than attacking people. Because that's not that's not what she uses her. Gadgets for no, I, I don't think she. I don't think she was attacking him. I think she saw that Zach was getting close to catching her, and she's like, "Oh, maybe this is finally the guy who will get me." And uh, I, it is important for my fetish that I turn him into a child because Ooh. I want to be captured by children. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I mean that's why she's catfishing the player. Okay. What's why she leaves the clues around? She wants to get caught, and she's used her childification ray to make sure that she's caught by a child, by a kid. Hey, have okay. we already talked yeah. about General Bison that. and like why he's running around with uh, the bad guys? Uh, that's a henchman. Yeah, uh, that's the henchman outfits. Dude, look a little bit like uh, M Bison, like mm. Blue M Bison. M Bison. So, um, what always anyway. pissed me off about him is he did that bullshit like stomp on your head move. And there's no way to, like, easily block it. Um, and he would just mash it over and over again. And it was the most frustrating fight ever. I, I could. Did you try down and block? Or down A, B and block? Well, if you have Ryu, then you could do the uppercut. And you could sometimes time it where you could hit him. But it was, I don't know. It clearly was fitting for an end boss. But it seemed really cheap and, uh, and manufactured with his, like, overpoweredness. It sounds like you just weren't very good at the game. It sounds like fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the kids overpower Fortune and the henchmen. Uh, 
they get him tied up. The chief shows up and says, hey, Carmen Sandiego was spotted uh, in Puerto Rico. And then they find out from the Puerto Rican guy, or they find out from a security guard in Puerto Rico that she stole the radio telescope that was in Puerto Rico. Um, we then, and then the kids are like, oh, that must be the island they were talking about. And I'm like, no, that's not in the Pacific. What's, what's the connection to the Pacific Island? And they question the chief a little bit more, and somehow they come to uh, Easter Island because well, they, they the look sto- for the the alien connection, like things that are associated with aliens. Which I actually have never heard of the Easter Island heads being associated with aliens before. Basically, I don't know if every, you guys have every like um, charismatic ancient landmark is associated with aliens. Yeah. Stonehenge, Easter Island, pyramids. So at any rate, they're like, oh, she must be going to Easter Island. We're going to go there next. So they C5 again to uh, Easter Island. And I don't know, do we actually get the cut through the Lawnmower Man butthole portal? I don't think we do this time. I don't think so. I think we go directly because they get dumped in the ocean. Yeah. Have we clarified we, we run, what I think C5, we run out of time a little bit. Have we clarified what C5 means? Uh, it's the, it's their term for teleportation. Do we know what the five C's are? Is it cut, clarity, color, and carrot? Yes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. They get dumped onto some rocks that's uh, part of the shoreline of Easter Island, and some waves basically carry them away from the island and out into the ocean. We see a sheep herder on Easter Island uh, get freaked out because there's an earthquake, and then suddenly... A zeppelin crests over the hillside while this giant forklift machine pulls an Easter Island head up out of the ground. And we cut back to the kids, cut back, we see the double zeppelin craft has wires attached to the Easter Island head, and they're they're basically flying away with it while the kids are getting attacked by a shark. Yeah, it seems like uh, right before we do go to the commercial break in this show, we're always threatened by some wildlife. Yeah. So a jaguar, a shark, a a a monkey with a knife and an <laughs> eye patch. Yeah. Um. So Carmen San Diego winds up shooting a, a rocket, shoots a missile at the kids, and the missile turns into a raft that the kids are able to get on top of. And they're like, "Carmen San Diego saved us. That's so weird. That's not going to stop us from exacting our revenge." Carmen San Diego's motivations are very conflicted. The kids are the only ones that have come remotely close to catching her. Obviously, they've already covered that the local police forces are completely useless and powerless to stop Carmen Sandiego. So by saving them, she's allowing the um, cartoon to continue. (laughs) They don't have to stop. Yeah, Yeah, that's an example of good writing. (laughs) So I was of the impression that Easter Island was actually um, abandoned. It was completely vacant. I didn't think that there were like even shepherds on the island. There's still people, no, I think yeah. people live on the island. Yeah. It's just not as much as uh, was there at the peak before um, they over farmed and over um, mined the island. They, they deforested it. It's deforested, mm-hmm. and then um, it also had to do with the fact that they uh, the original explorers or the the people who discovered the island the second time imported mice uh, and rats which mm. fully killed the island because it used to be that when they would 
grow the trees, at least the saplings would start to grow. But the rats actually ate the vegetation and um, they, the island wasn't able to recover at that point. Mike, Mike, I have a question for you, though. Uh, can you name three things that the ancient Mayans had that we still use today? Um, penises, <laughs> um, water, and um, uh, chia seeds. <laughs> I mean, I... Yeah, I guess I got to yeah. give it to you. <laughs> yeah, you're <Yes>. not wrong. <laughs> that question was a lot more abstract. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. gave me way too much leeway. <laughs> right. So, okay, what, what were what were the answers that you were thinking about? Well, the answers that the um, uh, that Carmen San Diego gives us is calendars, roads, and schools. Oh, I could see that too. Yep. Yep. So, so the kids get saved. I've heard it both they, ways. Um, they. Um, <laughs> We, we cut to uh, nighttime, basically. I think when we come back from commercial, it's nighttime. And the kids are on Easter Island, gathered around a fire, drying off their clothes. And I was very confused by this because they have the ability to teleport anywhere. Yeah. Why didn't they just go to, like, teleport home and change clothes or teleport to, I don't know, the Four Seasons? It wasn't in the script. Why would they need landscaping supplies? At the Four Seasons landscaping supply, <laughs> <laughs> they're going. They're Timely going for. Joke. They're going to the porn star across the street. <laughs> <laughs> Don't need clothes there. Um, yeah, like they're able to teleport anywhere at any time, and yeah. there doesn't seem to be any limits to it. They sort of treat it like it's a precious resource a little bit, but n- not really. Like, yeah. it really should just be another mode of transportation. It's really just what it needs to be, right? So, they could just like always just be like, okay, well, we'll go there and then we'll go back to the office to yeah. to the work, and then okay, well, we'll go there and back to the office. Why not? They're game planning things. They're thinking things out. They're talking about the the mysteries of this particular case. They're like, that's it, Australia. That tune that the security guard heard being whistled—that's an Australian tune. We know it specifically for reasons. We're not going to say why. I thought we determined that uh, Zach was a DH soldier who had traveled around the world. Oh, yeah, makes, there we go. Yep. Zach, Zach's level of knowledge would make a lot more sense if he was, you know, an adult who spent a lot of time spe- studying geography. Yep. Yep. And different cultures. Hey, uh, the the floating disembodied head. Does he remind the chief? Yeah. Does he remind you of the guy that used to do the Micro Machines commercials? He talks really fast. Mm. <laughs> it, no. I, I don't think it's the same guy, but he talks at the same tempo as. Like, it's it's not the same guy. I know because that's what I just said. There there's there's another guy that you would be thinking of if you heard the chief today and put them side by side. Mm. And that would be Squidward from no. uh what do you call Spongebob. It? So SpongeBob, SpongeBob is part of the one universe? <gasps> well, eventually. Mm. We haven't gotten to him yet. Actually I don't even know if he's on the list. I, I do uh think that it's very timely and relevant that the uh, Arecibo telescope is in this episode um, and at this you know this very week we lost that telescope to the ravages of time and oh is that what you were saying it was yeah, Mike you it already told week. us this <laughs> yeah but okay. not not so eloquently not, yeah not you're that right, it was so right. recent I didn't realize yeah, you really it was so stepped recent. it up so uh, well, actually, the reason why this is uh, so timely for this cartoon, the reason why they're talking about it, is because um, this cartoon came out very close to Goldeneye, 
Ah. And GoldenEye was the James Bond movie where that ended on top of the telescope. This whole ending sequence feels very cribbed from GoldenEye. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Almost almost verbatim. So they say, okay, let's go to Irons Rock because they're a bunch of racists and they're not actually calling it what it should Uluru. be. Uluru. Uluru. Yeah, Uluru. So they wind up teleporting to Uluru, C5ing to Uluru. Uh, and this time we do get the Lawnmower Man butthole scene. And uh, we see uh, uh, a treble cleft, a really blurry image of Ayers Rock or Uluru, a floating CGI NASA space plane, a floating laptop, an image of the famous uh, Russian buildings. What are those called? The one with the spinnerets at the top? <laughs> Minurets. You know, I'm starting uh, to... I think it's St. Peter's Cathedral, is that it? St. Peter's Cathedral, yeah, I think you're right. I- I'm starting um, to agree with your theory that he was uh, de-ageified because, th- like, being able to know that that tune was um, it was a tune from Australia means that he probably traveled around the world in the military. Um, Australia is a-, a common spot where uh, joint exercises occurred, so, you know, he, he could have... Uh, deployed in multiple regions of the world, and that's why he knows so much about the world. Well, specifically, uh, like tunes like that or local. Uh... Right. It's it's the kind of like cultural knowledge that you can't get from uh, Books. like yeah, yeah study. Yeah. You you yeah. you find it out in yeah, the. You have to have been there. You have to experience it. You go yeah. into the the pubs and the barracks, and you experience it there um, with a nice uh, warm pint of ale. If you're in England, right, right, or. I assume they have cold beer in Australia, or is it warm beer there, too? They have Fosters. It's Australian for beer. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you get punched in the face if you say that in Australia. <laughs> I'm pretty so. sure. I think you actually do. <laughs> I've I've been told that there's a couple of reasons, like, you get punched in the face, and saying Fosters is one of them, and the other one is... It, it's the PBR of Australia. Yeah. yeah. Mm. yeah. The other one is probably, uh, <laughs> that's not a knife. This is a noise. That's the other right. one, and then saying anything Probably. that involves chunder. Or if you try to fuck a koala. <laughs> no, then you, then you just get syphilis. Oh. So. Yeah, and yeah, it's, yeah. it's chlamydia. You get chlamydia. Yeah. Chlamydia. Syph- right. Syphilis yeah. was from sheep, and I think that was only <laughs> in the New World. And that's what the uh, the explorers brought back from, uh, from the New World. Um, so anyway, right before the kids get pooped out into the Australian outback... Uh, we wind up getting a, a quick information dump from the chief, like a really quick one, that it was really just talking about the biodiversity of Australia and that there's a Great Barrier Reef. That was pretty much it. I think by this point in time, they're like trying to rush the cartoon and get as much information as they could. So Yeah, they're trying to squeeze in like two, two Australia facts. Nobody notices the kids, and the kids climb on top of uh, the rock. They climb on top of the radio telescope that's sitting on top of the rock with Stonehenge surrounding it and a bunch of, like, Easter Island heads every now and again with one single Easter Island head being, like, dangled down in the center of the uh, the telescope. And lightning. Don't forget about lightning. And and you see Carmen Sandiego standing on top of this Easter Island head, and there's a bunch of lightning flashing all around, all around the background. And they say, they yell to Carmen, you're not going to get away with it. We're here caught you there's nowhere for you to go and then suddenly lightning strikes the telescope busts up the walkway that the kids are walking on and Zach is hanging on for dear life while he's dangling over the top of the telescope yeah he gets caught by ivy ivy catches him grabs onto his arm 
and then throws him at Carmen Sandiego. Yeah, she like uh, <laughs> she swings him back and forth to get some inertia action and flings him, and he catches a wire and slides down onto like, the clearly uh, not worried about her stone head. Well, let's not yeah, even talk not about, the, about her brother's safety. Ama- the amount of burn that you get, like, d- was his hand covered? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. He used his sleeve because otherwise he would have no skin left on his palms. And I could only imagine how difficult that is for private time when you are you know, have skinless palms. Well, it just adds to some new sensations. So. <laughs> Gross. Yeah, uh, it's pleasure mixed with pain, Mike. You gotta expand your horizon. Oh, uh, the, 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 the bones are extra ribbed for his pleasure. <laughs> So, Zach, during this entire time frame, we didn't really talk about, but he's super excited about aliens showing up and about how Carmen's trying to contact aliens. And that's obviously what she's doing with this whole jury-rigged, uh, uh, crazy-ass contraption she's built from all the parts that she's purchased all over the place. Um, Carmen San Diego basically tries to escape away from the kids by climbing down the Easter Island head. And at this point in time, when the kids are like, this is it, we got you, there's a bright flashing light. Zach says, she's done it. I can't believe she's contacted aliens. Wait, wait. And then... I'm not saying it's aliens, but aliens. Okay, I'm done. And then we realize, wait, no, that's not actually aliens. It's just one of her hovercopters to coming by to pick her up and fly her away. And she gets on the helicopter, or hovercopter, flies off. And the kids are like, oh, she got away again. They called it a hovercraft. Uh-huh. Right. It's just a double-bladed helicopter. Well, yeah. it's like when they called the, um, that hoverboard a hoverboard when it's got two wheels. It's like false advertising. Like that one so, time I went to Stoner's Pot Palace and I bought a frying pan. So the thing that I don't get is they're chasing after Carmen San Diego this entire time. She keeps getting away. and They're like, shit, she's gotten away. They never show the scene where they round up her henchmen, right. or they round up like the material that's being left behind. There's there are a shitload of henchmen hanging around on Uluru that she just left there that they can they they, they can grab and question. Be like, okay, you don't know the master plan, but where were you before this? Where were you when you were briefed? Right. There's a lot more information to be had here than just like, oh, we didn't catch her. I mean, just from a like a, a like a, a common uh, you know police procedural uh, point of view, like she's leaving clues everywhere. Like she's she's made custom designed and custom created costumes for each of her henchmen. Just like okay, well, where where was this made? Where who created yeah. this? Yeah, I don't think How we want to pay for it. The seamstress. She's probably some what? you know poor person in Peru that's. Just no, you're not going to arrest the seamstress. No, it just you, creates a you, paper trail, Mike. Yeah, and you'll find out from the seamstress, oh, Carmen Sandiego's come to you like four or five times before. That's great. We're now going to stake you out. We're going to watch you. We're going to wait for Carmen Sandiego to come and make contact with you again. Which she hires for a we'll her up there. Yeah. Maybe yeah. she pays cash like and goes all over the world and has multiple, like she never goes to the same seamstress twice. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying there's some ancillary police action that could be taking place here that would assist in the capture of Carmen San Diego, other than just like, oh, we got to capture her. Or just just be like, uh, hey, player, could you C5 us onto that helicopter, please? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so here's the, here's the hard-hitting questions we need to ask. What do you think 
player looks like? I think he looks like um, a white uh, boy with brown hair, uh, cut in a normal cut, but he has my face. <laughs> Scary. <laughs> it's like... I think he looks like Powder from the movie. Powder. <laughs> Just with a wig. I think he looks like a really young Zach Morris crossed with Benicio Del Toro. I think that he is he's present day wig on present day rack. Benicio del Toro. Right? <laughs> he's, it's a mannequin. It's not even a yeah, person. It's, it's just it's just a wig on a coat rack <laughs> that they put in front of the monitor. Does he actually move? I don't think he moves. Yeah, I think he does a little bit. Yeah. No, he doesn't he move. Does. You, could, you, you know, you can see his hand movements. You can see him typing stuff in every now and again. Yeah. So maybe it's just a hand. Do you think so? I, my question is like ultimately. Carmen is catfishing the player, right? Like, yeah, because yeah. because Carmen is is contacting the player specifically, and, and even the button on the episode is Carmen writing through the blue screen of the computer. Um, the player says to Carmen, "You didn't contact aliens." And Carmen says back, "Maybe not, but if I ever do, the stars and the sky will be safe from me, Playa." Yeah, she Mwah-ha-ha. calls him Playa because she apparently she's some sort of weird. I don't know, uh, criminal pedophile in that she wants children to catch. I was going to say she's a pedophile. She, she de-ageified him because he was too old for her. So, and she's catfishing player who appears to be, you know, a a young boy. Plier? Plier. Plier. Did I say plier? You said plier. So I meant channel locks. We're going to add that. (laughs) We're going to add that to the list of mispronunciated words. No, player. Player. Yeah, player. There's no R. Playa. Don't play. Don't hate the player. Hate the game. The Carmen San Diego game. Yes. Yes. Okay, so um, that brings a few to- notables here. I already mentioned that uh, the individual that plays the chief for the show, Roger Bumpus, is the voice of Squidward. Nice. Um, the voice of Ivy is uh, from Jennifer Hale. You would actually rec- recognize her as Commander Shepard from Mass Effect. If you played, Fem if you played yeah, if you played the female version, yeah, yeah, Fem And Zach is played by Scott Minvel, uh, and he is Robin from the Team Titans. Oh, and, I totally. And he also hear does that. like a bunch of other voices. He does like a ton of other voices for cartoons. So, um, can I ask the question real quick? Matt, would you let your daughter watch this show? Uh, Despite the fact that I hated the uh, ancient aliens connection in this episode, yeah, I liked this show. I felt like the animation was really pretty good. Uh, The writing is um, okay. Uh, I mean, like, the plot of the episode is dumb, but the research and historical knowledge is pretty good. So, yeah. Nice, nice. Spike? Uh, strong, Strong female characters. That's great. Oh, yeah, several strong people characters. Yeah, that's good. Uh, Mike, would you let your kids watch the show? Absolutely. It's kid-tested and mother-approved. <laughs> Absolutely. I would I would let my kids watch this. It's educational. It's got enough action to keep my six-year-old boy mostly probably into it. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't have dinosaurs, so, I mean, that's lacking. But uh, 
other than that, yeah, I think my kids would like it. I would be fine with them watching it. This is like classic PBS type uh, programming that, uh, you know, my parents would allow me to watch. Daytime Emmy worthy. Mm-hmm. Totally. Do do we all remember watching those as kids? Mike, you said you did. I vaguely remember. I mean, I don't remember what I had for breakfast two days ago. So um, I think, and I watched a lot of freaking TV. Um, so I'm assuming I had to have come across it. But I remember playing the video game vividly. Like, I do remember loving that video game. But the cartoon... I had to have flipped through it with our four channels that we had available. And if it was on, you really didn't have much of a choice. So, yeah, I probably watched it and I probably liked it. But not enough to remember what time it played and to go back every week. Yeah, I I remember I have the same similar kind of memory. I remember that I did watch it, but I can't recall any of the plots or the characters aside from Carmen Sandiego. As soon as I saw... Uh, Ivy and Zach. I was like, I sort of recognize yep. those characters. They look familiar, yeah. mm-hmm. but you know their personalities weren't strong or interesting enough that uh, <laughs> they really made an impression. Yeah, yeah. I, I was in the same yeah. boat. I don't really remember the cartoon. I sort of remember playing Where in Time is Carmen Sandiego. That was a hard game. I was really yeah. bad at that, but Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? I was generally okay. I think I caught her once or twice. I remember playing I remember playing a lot of those games. I really enjoyed them. Mm-hmm. But this was yeah. definitely like this is this was the time when like there were a lot of those educational games like Mavis Beacon typing and uh Oregon Trail yeah. and uh, Oh my god, I just remembered. I, I you you guys flashed me back to a memory where, you know, this was before the internet. So when you played Where in the World was Carmen San Diego and they gave you those hints, I remember picking up an Encyclopedia Britannica. And my parents were cheap, so we only got we only had like six of them. I had like D through L or something like it was. So I was, and then I also had a Guinness Book of World Records book, and I remember having to cross check the Encyclopedia Britannica and my Microsoft Encarta and the Guinness Book of World Records to try to figure out this shit because I didn't want to leave to go like have my parents drive me to the library to find out like, a fucking answer. And they, they didn't know. Like I, I asked them first, obviously. And so I was like scrounging around through the house trying to find books on on all these things because you could that Google didn't exist. Ask Jeeves See, barely. I, I don't think I, I think maybe Yahoo and AOL. I think that where in the world was one of the early games where um, I I memorized all the clues and by process of elimination ultimately got to the point where I could beat the game consistently um, because I had memorized everything. I, I knew all the options that was possible for it for the game to go. And I also knew like if you went to certain cities, there were only a certain other cities that you could get to. So it was very easy to figure out where she was kind of going next. That's kind of how I beat Super Mario 2 was just like memorizing the pattern and jumping and ducking and whatever. Yeah. But, I mean it's how I I mean it's how I get through not life a similar way but but like a lot of a lot of that mentality that's how I beat Mist. Mm-hmm. When I I got stuck in Mist, I couldn't really understand how the game worked. So I at one point I found this um it was a safe that had a three-digit combination, 
and I didn't understand how the game worked at all. But I was like, okay, (laughs) it's a three-digit combination. (laughs) I'll start at zero zero one. (laughs) She's gonna brute force. How many combinations are there? I guess you didn't know. The number is seven hundred (laughs) and twenty-one. Damn. So you were at it for a while. And I got there the hard way. <laughs> I'm not smart. <laughs> you know those developers are totally doing that to just fuck with people. But we're not going to make it one, two, three. We're not going to make it in the hundreds. Let's make it as close to 999 as possible without actually being 999. No, if, if, if well, they were it smart. Been five it could, it yeah. could have been like nine, yeah. Yeah, 915. But yeah, trial and error is how I've gotten through life. <laughs> surprisingly, because of, because of all the times you've been put on trial. <laughs> surprisingly, I haven't died, but yeah, you know, you just keep on talking until someone stops slapping you. Now I remember playing the the video game over at Matt's house and um, getting frustrated after about five minutes because Matt would just be like, "Oh, it's this. Oh, it's this. Oh, it's this. <laughs> why, why, why don't you know this? What's wrong with you?" And I'm like, "Jesus, well, I don't fucking know anything. I'm gonna go play Eco the Dolphin." <laughs> uh, sorry, horrible sorry, backseat dude. driver. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, because obviously it was just like I don't know what the fuck is going on in this game. What's happening? One of my funniest memories of Matt was when he wanted an electric. Um, he wanted a electric scooter um, in college and to get around to your classes. And you know you were so hopeful. And when Christmas came, your parents got you a. Um, uh, razor it was scooter. a razor, it was a pedal scooter. That's right. You, you wanted like a Vespa, and it. they gave you like yeah, the razor. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, I I deserved it. <laughs> you're like, thanks, thanks, mom. <laughs> Love you. I, I just hope that it was all level. It's not like you weren't going to school like up, uphill both ways or something like that. I went to school in Providence, which is built on hills. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man. Oh. Yeah, it's they were right. I didn't need a scooter. <laughs> well, yeah. or no, I, I needed a razor scooter. Well, hopefully, hopefully <clears throat> that built character at Island School of Road Design. I doubt it. So, um, um, are we on next? to Dirty Thirty now? Yes, I think we are. It's oh, about yeah. damn time. Dirty Thirty. I well, think we I mean, pretty much covered this throughout. So. Yeah, I mean, Carmen is catfishing player. He's going down the same road as Carmen San Diego. He's got, he's surrounded by all of this minutia of different cultures. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, different cultures, different uh, disciplines uh-huh. yeah. that he's, he's collected and sampled. He's solving these yeah. high-level crimes as a kid, so it's going to be like easy and old hat to him by the time he becomes an adult. Well, it's he's he's going to become bored and disillusioned. Just he's like gonna Carmen, want, he's going to want a bigger and bigger challenge. And then by the time he's 40, he's going to realize that he can't even get an erection unless there's a bomb strapped to a kid dangling <laughs> over top of a telescope with a giant yeah. Easter Island head about yeah. to crush them mm-hmm. both. He can't so, get it up unless the Ivy, the uh, Eiffel Tower is all up in his butthole. The Ivy, exactly. the Ivy Tower. And like not not like a replica. Like He's got to shrink the real Eiffel Tower and cram it up. <laughs> stick it up there, yeah. yeah. That's with how to- With tourists and everything, yeah. <laughs> I was going to wonder if anyone's going to mention that uh, Carmen has no clothes on underneath that trench coat. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to go back now. She, go back, a, go back to the pleasure. opening sequence and look at when she's riding on the hover bike. 
<laughs> just the, just the sound of Mike scrubbing through the movie. <laughs> Heavy breathing and scrubbing. <laughs> well, well, there's the scene in the the intro where she jumps on top of the uh, the dog headed statue. Oh yeah, she's show, she shows a lot of legs. She's only wearing a, a trench leg. coat. I've got to respect a woman like that. <laughs> She knows what she wants. She wants the landmarks, and she doesn't need to worry about clothes to get them. Well, the funny part is, is she's constantly standing on a elevated <laughs> I know position. She's as well. a, she's perfect. So. That's that's awesome. She's a power. She's a powerful woman. I like. Yeah. Her. I think she's going to be a good road model. So, as per our previous discussion, that we shouldn't be stealing all of our bits from Greatest Generation. Thank you. I've stolen the following bit from the flop house. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Are we going to do, is it terrible, awesome, or awesomely terrible? Ooh. I must have missed out. Was that oh, a different? That, that is the simplified version. Okay, so was this show a piece of carrium? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, carrium or carry on? Carrium. 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 Space. Uh, Wait, is that good? It's clean coal. No, you know, which we're just, we're just bland and uh, n- not good. Was it wave motion good? Mm-hmm. Or was it the barbarian we deserve? <laughs> not necessarily the barbarian we want. But For the barbarian, barbarian we deserve. We deserve. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but so carrium is bad. Wade well, let's just use a simplified okay. version. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I kind of awesome, like Awesome, terrible, idea. or terribly awesome. Yeah. Um, and w- w- with the understanding that a vote for awesome is still a vote to take it off the list. Sure, yeah. These are unrelated votes. Um, I- I'm going to say that this is the barbarian we deserve. Uh, mostly because I really enjoyed the research and the premise and the animation of the show. But then... The actual the actual execution and the uh, constant reuse of wildlife as a threat and the lack of motivation on Carmen's part really like detracts from um, the overall enjoyment. So I'm I'm going to give a barbarian we deserve kind of ranking. Hmm. Now see, I thought this was a lot like the uh, the Star Blazers, where the showrunner has has a very clear vision of what they want to be in the show, and there's not going to be a lot of variation from episode to episode other than the large amounts of research are going to be about different subjects. Right, yeah, you're, I, I think you're right. I think the, it feels like a procedural, right? Like I could see this as a you're, you're a CSI or you're a uh, uh, law and order, and it, we're going to go through the same beats and we're just going to have different topics that we discuss. Right, so that's why I was thinking... Uh, Voting out for being too coherent, <laughs> too predictable. <laughs> yeah. So you're you're voting so you for go, you're voting it off the island. Yeah, there's not a lot of uh, replay you're, value. You're here. voting it off the rock. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what are we doing? We're doing uh, piece of carrium. Uh, okay. Wa- wave motion, good. Is this bad to good, or is this just whatever I think? Carrium's bad. Are. Yeah, carrium's bad. Wave motion is good. And Except that you're still voting it off, uh-huh. <clears throat> and um, and the barbarian we deserve is like really good or just in between. 
Uh, <laughs> look, yeah. the whole point the whole point of coming up with the system is was so that I could immediately drop it and okay. go, okay, here's a simplified version. Was was it amazing? Was it terrible? Or was it amazingly terrible? There we go. Um, I'm going to say that it was wave motion gun or uh, wow, terrible. Not amazingly terrible. Not amazing. I'm going to say it's terrible. And, and the reason why is because of, of kind of what you were hinting at. They had to force some sort of tension in here, and obviously the writers were not skilled enough to try to figure out how to create that tension. So they were like, okay, what type of wildlife is there in South America? Jaguar. Okay, a jaguar is going to try to hunt them down. We can't have violence in it, but we can't have like animals stalking right. the kids and trying to attack them. Oh, they're going to wind up in the ocean. Okay, great. Then, then we're going to throw a shark in there and have a shark and attack Car them. Carmen's gang is never a threat. Yeah. Yep. Never. Not it's once. a jump. It's a so, jump scare. You know, it, it's it's meant to make sure that you suffer through those awful commercials in the nineties. Did you did you jump when they when you saw the jaguar falling? No, but I, Mike, were you no, like, it, oh my god? I, I didn't jump, but it's, I did get scared, so I was fifty percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was an attempt to create. Tension I know you have a fear of jaguars from, from writers that did not know how to create tension without cartoon violence. And, and because of that, like, it's kind of uninspired writing for the most part. It's good. It's well-designed. They have an idea where they want to go. I'm, I'm sure week to week they're going to have good information for it, but it wasn't – it was kind of – And good bones, bad and, meat. And to answer your yeah, question, yeah, Matt, yeah, I, am afraid of, I am afraid of jaguars, but I do love a good cougar. I know, I know you do. I know you're afraid of jaguars. Yeah. I thought you were more after uh, chicken hawks, though. That's, you're more of an Aston Martin guy. Maybe a puma. <laughs> New balance. So, Adam, you're putting this in the same category as the Spectacular Spider-Man. Ooh, I I would rank it above Spectacular. If we're going to be comparing them, I'd rank it above Spectacular Spider-Man. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't but go down, out to watch it again, and I wouldn't want to have it again for the show. So, I honestly, I would keep it on the island. I would I would keep it around. But I agree mm -hmm. that it is similar to Spectacular Spider-Man in that. It doesn't work, right? Like, it's got all the pieces, but it doesn't come together. Hmm. And it's interesting that we both, Spectacular Spider-Man and uh, Carmen Sandiego, were watching early episodes. So yeah. like, there's the potential that the magic, the, the, like, all the ingredient, the stew isn't ready yet. You know, like, all the all the umami flavor hasn't leached out into the other uh, vegetables hmm. yet. Mm -hmm. um, if you're going to use a food term, I'm going to use a financial term. I think there's a 50% upside to this. <laughs> okay that's a financial term yeah it's a stock term yeah if there's a potential upside it means that the the stock is um predicted to grow you know you should stop stuff stuffing dollars on, in between your mattress and actually invest them adam yeah so, adam so, so so how are you voting Mike? um i don't know what we're talking about okay so this show <laughs> no I, I i i think it should stay you think it should stay yeah. on the list yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm interested to see what other places they go to and if this, like, alien thing is just an episodic anomaly or if it's like... It is. Okay, good. <laughs> well, then, never mind then. <laughs> I'm almost... I'm, I, well, I'm almost certain okay. it is. <laughs> I, I hope so, honestly. I, that's the part of the show I hated. Also, Mike will vote for any uh, cartoon to stay on as long as there's a red Fuck you! <laughs> Actually, I I think I would keep this on if if they did like suddenly take a hard right and be like, no, 
we are going to go aliens. We are going <laughs> to go full blown aliens. This is where we're going. We're going full blown. One hundred percent. We're going to hunt then werewolves in the next episode. They're going to yeah. get after like it's going to be all about cryptids. Do, do we need to text Derek to get a tiebreaker? Um. Uh, well, yeah. We, yeah. No, no, no. We did say. Why don't we reveal it next? Episode. Well, no, no. Last episode, we did determine that though Mike um, is frequently the uh, agent, agent of chaos in these shows and will not actually do a summary, that his vote does count for three votes. So <laughs> what? What? Mm. what? How did that happen? I just declared oh. it during the last episode. <laughs> I, I, I clearly need to edit that out of the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> and then this also. Uh, no, Mike. It's it's only because we know that you voted three times in the last election. I'm not dead, so that's not possible. <laughs> so, he, uh, I'm I'm emotionally I'm chaotic. Aren't you? You're emotionally. <laughs> well, I've 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 started to come back to life because of this telework situation. Um, I I was actually told by my wife uh, the other, just today. She's like, "Wow, you don't look nearly as depressed as you used to." And I'm like. <laughs> How depressed did I used to look? And she's like, well, I don't know. You're smiling now. <laughs> so, Damn. well, that's good. Yeah, so, like, I've turned a corner in my life. Um, working from home, surprisingly, and not dealing with an hour and a half commute each way, uh, has a really big impact on mental health. Wow. I'm glad you're happy, Mike. You deserve I'm it. not happy. I'm fucking happy. <laughs> uh, is yeah. happy a redhead? <laughs> <laughs> so we're, let's, we're waiting let's to hear back from Derek right now. He's he's responding. No, he is. He's yeah, just not. He's just not he's? responding the way he should be. So. <laughs> Meaning he's not giving. <laughs> he's not voting in your. It, no, no. Instead of saying yes, let's keep it on or keep it on, he's like, "Can we do an episode of the game show instead?" <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I'm, I'm watching the. Uh, oh, I forgot it. there was a game show. Yeah, it was the PBS uh, game show, and they had like the two whoppers. They had a. Uh, like a barbershop quartet singing <gasps> where in oh the my world wow. is God, right, that's, right. that's what I remember wow. watching. I loved that show. Yeah. I never saw oh, it. Oh, the, the yeah, a bunch of kids. The, the barbershop quartet, oh my that's burned into my memory. That it was such a oh, good yeah. show. Since Derek is basically dicking around and like, I don't have a yes or no answer. I don't know. I'm gonna find something to flip. Alright, no, let's let's move on. We we can make a ruling later. Let's flip a coin. He, he said. Right, he on. said yes. He said yeah. yes. Keep it. Fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> We're keeping it. This is our most controversial decision. <laughs> Seriously, Carmen San Diego. It should have been a nerf answer right there. It's like I'm interested to see if it gets better. Like I feel like the ingredients are there that it could maybe you know season. Let's say season two mid season. That might be their sweet spot. Okay, so for future yes. episodes. Uh, oh, we're not going right. to do one universe. We're going to roll for yes. it. One universe theory? We're not going to do one universe theory. Oh, one universe theory. We're doing one universe theory. Take it away. Yeah, How did we skip that? I'm going to keep it really simple because it's just something that we sort of discussed a little bit offline. Um, and somebody else can come up with a much better idea than I have this week. I'm, I'm nerfing this one. Uh, Carmen San Diego. Is Cole Cash pre-transition surgery? <laughs> Wait, no, but Cole Cash was transitioning from a man to a woman. That was my no, no, no. Cole Cash was transitioning to a man from a woman. Oh, okay. So 
I mean, the trench coat makes sense. The odd color choices make sense. The red red gloves. And and this is this is how the progression works out. Is Cole Colette Cash assumed the codename of Carmen San Diego while she was working for the Acme Detective Agency. She realized that she needed more to her life, so she she left the Acme Agency and became a bad guy. She realized that the bad being a bad guy wasn't filling the hole she needed, and that's when she sat down and thought about herself, looked inward. And mm-hmm. realized she was actually a man. And she, she realized that transition. children could never fulfill her. So she pulled off one last daring heist where she actually made money, went through the entire screening process, did the transition surgery properly, and then became the grifter. I mean, it makes sense because of the level of technology that she has access to. It, it, she would, it, it would fit very well in a, in a Wildcats universe. The amount of technology she seems to have it at her disposal, and it would also make sense that the grifter Cole Cash got Coda training because Coda training only went to females. So Carmen oh. San Diego could have gotten Coda training before he transitioned into Cole Cash. That makes a lot of sense. That also means that. Um... Carmen San Diego and Zealot from Wildcats had a relationship. Mm-hmm. Nice. You like that, Mike? That's all I got. I like it. I also wanted to add, as Carmen San Diego, she seems to be sort of searching for something, and then thought maybe this is the orb that they mentioned Wildcats that they're always searching for. Sure. That she's traveling around the world. Trying to find. Well, she she is trying to contact and, aliens, and both the and Kerbiums she, yes. and the Daemonites are ancient aliens who came and to And she's Earth. trying to get to Mars. So she could steal well, it along with all of the stars. Well, I think what they might be trying to find is the power source for the faster-than-light engine that the generation shift is going to need. <gasps> oh, okay. There so, we go. So the, the wave motion engine power source. Okay. Nice. I think it's all coming together. I'll buy guys. that for a dollar. It's all coming together. And, sin- I and like since it. she's not an actual cat or a cat morph, then she belongs on the Wildcats team that aren't also cats. <laughs> <laughs> Flawless logic. It's flagrant false advertising when I tried to watch Wildcats and found no cats. <laughs> God. All right. So next episode. Next what we, what episode. We, next? we still have 208 cartoons to choose from. Is that correct? Yep. Which one is number okay. 76? So mm-hmm. here's 76. Mm-hmm. Gotta scroll up. 76. Heathcliff. 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 Amazing. Okay, so another Talking Animals cartoon with some kitty cats. Yeah. This this will make Mike happy. Who will be yeah, who's, who's presenting be Heathcliff? Yeah, do the clickety-clack sound for this, too. Yeah, clickety-clack it. Once again, it will be yeah. Adam. Jesus, oh, really? Adam. <laughs> who, does, who does all he's, of the shows. He's our resident voice actor. He's <laughs> got the, the uh, he's got, got the Chris Sabat voice. So He's getting slammed. He's he's did Where on Earth he at is. Carmen San Diego. He's got Cops, and now he's got Heathcliff. So I really do have the next three. Do, do you yeah. want to do it, Matt? Uh, no, I've got I've got sectars. Oh, you got sectars. That's right. 
Yeah. Uh, Adam, if you want, if you want to trade one off to me, I would be willing to take cops off your hands. I don't know. <laughs> you know, for a heard... modest fee. He's talking know. about I sex. I never heard of no uh, sectars. Uh, no, no, I'm good with them. I'm fine with those two. Um, I'll week, take. I'll have take a break. Heathcliff, if you. How many uh, are, is Derek no, no, no. taking? I'm good. I'm like, good. is Derek got a bunch? Well, nope. well he needs to show up. <laughs> Snap. <laughs> Bird. <laughs> Uh, the last one Derek did was Silverhawks. Yeah, Silverhawks, which was Mike's show. But yeah, I, I, I gladly <laughs> cede the title of of commentator for that head lead talker. That's fair. All right, uh, shall we wrap I am it up? Comic relief. Yeah, yeah. How do we sign okay. off of these things? Uh, Usually we yeah we say a little catchphrase or or a little yeah. thingy. Do we? For Amazingly Terrible, I've been David. <laughs> you have been? What are you going to be next? Uh, I continue with the streak on the mat. I, don't know, I kind of feel like I'm Mike this week, because, uh, you know, turtles breathe through the butts and all. <laughs> that is forever going to be a I, classic. I don't know. <laughs> did you say a lot of gross, horny stuff about redheads, um, redheads? and Australians? Actually, I, I did not. That's true. So I, I guess this week I'm still Adam. I guess. I am Mike, and the human head weighs seven pounds. Jesus Christ. Are all of your catchphrases from 90s movies? Well, what the fuck are we doing here? If not... <laughs> no, I think all of his catchphrases are, are If like not rehashing the things. 90s. Give me a break here, man. <laughs> <laughs> you, you forget why we're here, other than to waste Wait. three hours. You're right. Did, did, I'm, I'm blind. I forgot my way. Amazingly Terrible is produced by David Marks. Send your emails to monotonouslyterrific at amazinglyterrible.com. Music by Josh Woodward. Trust me, home. That dude was way fly back in 615.